Alright all you movie junkies, it is time for the SLS Cast, with your hosts Matt and Tim. And welcome once again to the SLS Cast, it is episode 89 of our show, changing up the intro a little bit, because... Gotta keep things fresh and exciting. However, the show this week is the Korean book episode of the <laughs> SLS cast. I know, you're thinking to yourself, I am seriously reaching at this point. But I am truly not. Truly not. You see, it turns out that the international standard book number, or the ISBN, like when you see those little numbers and barcodes in books and what have you. The group identifier for books published in Korea is 89. And with that little bit of literary knowledge, I, of course, am Matt. Have you ever read any books in Korean? No, I'm afraid I can't read Korean. (laughs) Have you ever met those people that ever, that like tried to learn Korean or Chinese or Japanese and they're usually the type of people that that will st- stick it out for maybe a year or two, but then either they will continue on doing it and they'll you know shove it all in your face and be like, oh hey look at me I I can speak Japanese and I you know all this stuff I can communicate in in, in some kind of Asian language. You have those people, then you have the people that you know that do it for a year or so and they leave and then they say nothing about it and they're almost kind of. You know, like, they're kind of testy whenever you bring it up. Like, hey, Bob, didn't you study Korean before? And they're like, no. Well, yeah, but no. I come across those people in my travels. I'm afraid I have not really experienced that type of person in either side of that equation. Thankfully. It sounds like, thankfully. Well, shit. (laughs) <laughs> but I, I did have a weird person experience last week. I totally forgot to tell you about my experience last week in the theater for watching Get On Up. Oh, what what happened? Yes, I, I get to the theater and I go to sit down in the chair and it, I had the theater to myself. So I'm like, cool, well, I'm going to go and sit not quite in the back row, but the second to last row, because this way I know that the seats will fully recline back and, you know, I'll be ready to rock and everything. And I go and I'm looking and I was like, wait a minute. What is, oh, are you just kidding me? It's like, oh, that's gross. Did you find a condom? No, it was a grease stain on the head of the seat on the headrest. Oh, man. It's a grease stain, actual grease stain. So I was like, oh, my God, that's terrible. Okay, well, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and go down to the next row. And then there were two more grease stains. I was in my own fucking Soul Glow commercial, and I could not believe it. I went, ended up getting all the way into the back row where I found a nice middle seat. And then, of course, we're leaving... And, or we're, I, me and myself and I, apparently, I'm leaving and I see some people in the, uh, the employees of the theater and I was like, hey, I just want to give you a heads up. Um, a few of the rows, there's like four seats or more that have hair grease spots on the back of the chairs, uh, on the headrests. And, I, you know, 
just for whatever it's worth. I thought maybe you want to clean it up. And they were like, well, what theater was it? And I was like, it was the theater doing Get On Up. And everyone was like, wow, it's like a Soul Glow commercial. That's what they said. I was like, I know, it was, that's exactly what I was thinking. Just let your soul glow. I was like, yes. Even the cop, you know how you had that one cop? He's like, dude, is that like coming to America? I was like, yes, yes. Just let your soul glow. Oh yeah, I was just about to say. I mean, wasn't that like ridiculous as it was in coming to America? Like where it had Jerry Curl seriously all over. Yes, it was. I'm not joking. It was seriously. There were grease spots from hair grease from like the actual like soul glow shit that you put in your hair. Can you imagine that there was a time when if you saw a curly hair on a couch or a chair or a bed or on the floor, maybe in the bathroom sink, even in the guy's bathroom, there was once a time where you didn't know if that was a pubic hair or a piece <laughs> of head hair. Now it's just straight on. It's that Those are some pubes. Those are pubes on that utensil, not hair. Indeed. Yes. So, Times are different now, my friend. Yeah. So at any rate, I just wanted to get that out there. I, I didn't have uh, anything really fun or exciting happen this uh, last week, and remembered that I forgot to share that from last week's episode. And I don't know, did you have anything fun and exciting happen to you this week, or should we... No, but just a, just a warning real quick. If you hear any like gunshots or screaming or sexual s- noises of some sort... You've moved to Ferguson? <laughs> what? Oh, no, yeah. Uh, I'm in the Ferguson section of my apartment. No, I'm recording from a different area of my apartment that is kind of in the facing facing the raunchy side of the neighborhood where you have the cackling cackling princess in the back and uh, you you have the the sexual moans and groans coming from the people's windows that they don't know how to freaking shut their window as if they're like saying... Hire me for your movie. Listen to me moan. All right, cool. Well, then I guess shall we go ahead and get right to the nitty-gritty? We must. All right, here it is, folks. It's the news. Although people would say that the opening of our show would be the nitty-gritty. More than likely. Then we'll get to the gritty-nitty. Even better. (laughs) Alright, well first up for me is uh, kind of this weird bridge between news of the weird and actual entertainment news. Uh, It's from usatoday.com, courtesy of Marco De La Cava. From Tom Hanks, an app ode to the typewriter. Tom Hanks has a new app out. You read that correctly. Not a movie, but an app. It's called The Hanks Writer. Hanks is spelled H-A-N-X. And it is a technological testament to a serious disease that afflicts the poor man. Call it typewriteritis. Hanks Writer turns your iPad into an old-school manual typewriter. It replicates the thwack-thwack sound of metal stamping on paper and the ding-dong-clank, you know, ching ching Right? Of reaching the end of one line and starting a new one. The app is free in Apple's App Store, though additional typewriter fonts and sounds cost $2.99 each. It, yeah, he, he, it turns out Tom Hanks actually collects typewriters. 
and he loves the sound of using typewriter, but understands that in today's day and age, um, it's just not feasible to use typewriters. Now, he likes to use typewriters. He apparently has a collection of somewhere in the neighborhood of 200, and and he likes to use them for his own personal memos and stuff to go with his aides and stuff. But he wanted to gift this out so that anybody who has nostalgia for typewriters can, you know, can listen and, and play along and get things like the Hermes 2000 or the Brother Deluxe 895. So it sounds just like that one. And, um, yeah. So I, I don't know. Do you think this is something that you would get if you had an iPad, sir? I would think about it until I see all the hipsters around town <laughs> doing the same exact thing. And it, it would probably be like, you know, I think I'm just fine using my Toshiba laptop. There you go. Yes. There you go. All right. What do you got, sir? All right. So next up with me, something interesting uh, that used to be very common, something that used to be very common in the 40s and the 50s and the 60s, whenever you would watch these great epics Especially those based in uh, uh, in Egypt, like Cleopatra, the Robe, Ten Commandments, even with Charlton Heston playing Moses, you normally saw white actors, white American actors, portraying these Egyptians, these famous religious characters that are nowhere near <laughs> supposed to be, nowhere near like an American-looking human being. Hang on, hang on. Are you trying to tell me that Charlton Heston? was not Jewish. My my world is... The Ten Commandments will never be the same for me ever, <laughs> ever again. You know, I think if Charlton Heston was Jewish, he would not have been the president of the NRA. <laughs> Maybe. I, I'm just guessing. I'm just guessing. I, I am but... not touching that with a 10-foot pole, bro. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, the upcoming uh, movie called Exodus, Gods and Kings, which is about... Uh, which is about pretty much the Ten Commandments. You have Christian Bell and Joel Edgerton in this film. Uh, and again, they are both very white people playing Egyptians. And this is from an article written by Gabe Toro, which is entitled, Joel Edgerton Addresses Controversy Over Exodus, Gods and Kings Casting. And this is what it says. There's a long history of Hollywood casting the same familiar white faces that continues the Exodus God and Kings, which hits theaters the, this holiday season. Normally a film top-lined by Christian Bell and Joel Edgerton wouldn't cause any controversy, but this time, the casting, which also involves Sigourney Weaver and Aaron Paul, Jesse from Breaking Bad, among others, has caused fans to strike back. With a Twitter campaign dedicated to raising awareness of the issue of a story of ancient Egyptians being told with mostly white actors, at the very least, said campaign has reached one of the film's stars. Joel Edgerton spoke about these issues to the Australian network SBS, and this is via The Guardian, and expressed empathy for the stance many have taken. He says this, quote, It's not my job to make those decisions. I got asked to do a job, and it would have been very hard to say no to that job. I do say that I am sensitive to it, and I do. I do understand and emphasize with that position. End all quotes. What do you think, Matt? Do you think this is a big deal? I mean, or does this, is this kind of like a, 
you know, like, like, just so it's a Hollywood thing, you know, just kind of mixes it up a little bit. You have very fine actors who are probably going to give a really good portrayal. I mean, you look at Noah with, uh, with, uh, what's his name? Russell Crowe. Yeah, Russell Crowe played Noah. That movie got a lot of crap because he was in that movie. And all these other white actors were in that movie. Does that bother you at all? Nah. I don't look at it that way. I mean, as far as Joel Edgerton is concerned, I mean, talk about the chance of a lifetime to get to play a part made famous by Yul Brenner. I mean, how do you turn that down? <laughs> um, but, I don't know, whether or not... A lot of times it has to do with marketability. It's not... Uh, I, for whatever, I mean, it, it's a terrible cliche to use in this instance, and I apologize that I don't have anything better to relate it to. But it's not—it's—it's it's business. It's not personal. People will go to see a movie because they know the stars that are in it, and when you have a big budget thing that you're trying to do, especially with this particular film, the tack that the trailer seems to be taking. And I only just recently saw the trailer when I uh, when I went to go see Get On Up. Is it really seems to try and be f- to 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 really focus on Moses and Ramses, whereas the Ten Commandments was more of just kind of a narrative flow of the life of Moses. This one really seems to focus just on that relationship, as near as I can tell, and. You want, when you're doing that and you're pouring an ass load of money into it, you want people that you know the, the audiences will come and see. Um, so that's why they got the actors and actresses that they did. It's just that simple. I, and, I, and again, I apologize because I don't mean to sound callous about it. Because they do have a point, but on the same token, who who, who do you get? Who do you get that's highly marketable that is ethnically correct? Denzel Washington? You're going to get Denzel Washington to do all six guy parts? <laughs> yes, it's CGI, <laughs> He's good. man. He is good, but he is not that good. No, no, you get Andy Serkis <laughs> to play uh-huh. all the Egyptians. <laughs> but he's white. Exactly. <laughs> you get Johnny Depp to play Moses... And Yul Brenner, and I'm not talking oh about Yul Brenner's but, but character. I'm talking about do, Yul you Brenner. You got to get him to do Moses. He has to do Moses as Jack Sparrow, and he has to do Ramses as Tonto. There you go. <laughs> we are here to offend you. <laughs> Episode uh, title. There you go. Ah, <laughs> uh, anyhow, all right. So, have we done enough damage around that popsicle stand? Yes, I think we burnt religion to the ground. <laughs> uh, all right, well, here I've got a quad of stories that are going to pop up real quick because they're all related to the same thing. Sequels! So, first up, from SlashFilm.com, courtesy of Peter Scaretta, Jackie Chan has been approached about Rush Hour 4. Yes, Basically, people want him to do it. And this is what he had to say. 
Quote, Lately, they want to make Rush Hour 4. I said no. Show me the script first. I don't need another Rush Hour 4. You need Rush Hour 4. Show me the script. I don't want to do a rubbish script just because they want to make the movie. End quote. Now, see, that's what he should have said when they approached him about Rush Hour 3. But he didn't do that. And Rush Hour 3 sucked. <laughs> I guess maybe he learned his lesson on that one. Um, next up there, Power Rangers. This is from ComingSoon.net, uh, courtesy of Lionsgate. This was sourced from Lionsgate. Power Rangers hits the big screen July 22nd, 2016. Following their announcement of the project in May, Lionsgate and Saban have officially set Power Rangers for release on July 22nd, 2016. There, it will open opposite Guy Ritchie's King Arthur. So that's exciting for all you Power Rangers fans. And then in another long-lost sequel, also from SlashFilm.com, courtesy of, again, Peter Scaretta, Martin Lawrence confirms Bad Boys 3 is in the works. Comedian-slash-actor Martin Lawrence has appeared on, uh, appeared on Conan to promote his television series partners and drop the big bomb. Bad Boys 3 might finally happen uh, when... Yeah, basically, the he was asked about it, and Martin responded with this, quote, I believe so, yes. I just talked to Jerry Bruckheimer yesterday, and he said it's real, they're working on the script, they're getting close, and it all looks good, end quote. Wow. This is uh, pretty interesting, if that's actually going to come together. Apparently, there's always been scheduling conflicts. Will Smith was busy, Jerry Bruckheimer was busy, Will Smith was busy, Jerry Bruckheimer was busy, and if you'll notice, Martin Lawrence apparently was not really busy and always available. Last but not least, from dailymail.co.uk, from the Mail Online, courtesy of George Stark, making way for another monster hit, Godzilla 2 gets a June 2018 release date. Its recent reboot was a monster smash, taking in over $500 million at the worldwide box office. Now, Warner Brothers and Legendary have set a release date for the sequel of Godzilla for June 8th, 2018 Variety reports. Director Gareth Edwards is returning to the franchise, and he was recently named as director for the upcoming Star Wars spinoffs that we had reported earlier. So, bam! Knock those out real quick. Uh, any any responses or comments, questions, comments, concerns on your end there, Tim, about Rush Hour 4 or... No. Martin or Bad Boys 3? Uh... Those are my comments. No. And, uh... <laughs> Respectively? <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, why not? All right, so a quick one for me. Uh, a lot of people have been wondering why Ivan Reitman left the director's chair for of Ghostbusters 3. Uh, we, Matt, brought, talked about this a couple episodes ago, that uh, Paul Feig, the director of The Heat and Bridesmaids, will be stepping in too. Uh, serve as the director for the upcoming either Ghostbusters sequel or more than likely a Ghostbusters reboot. Talking to ComingSoon.net, this is what the original director had to say about his departure. Quote, I thought it was better for me just to produce it and to make sure we're going to have the quality and style of what is appropriate for another version of that film. But the franchise could benefit from somebody else's point of view. I've done it twice before, and it will be great to get somebody else to lend a hand as well. End quote. So, I mean, that just kind of confirms what we 
probably all thought. Indeed, Rooney. All right, let's see here. We've got, uh, oh, here we go from comicbookmovie.com, courtesy of Nailbiter111. Marvel's Doctor Strange movie will not be an origin story. Recently, Devin Faraci of Badass Digest was a guest on the Meet the Movie Press podcast. During the broadcast, he revealed that the new Doctor Strange film will not be an origin story. Quote, So, for Doctor Strange, they've had a script in-house forever. It's a pretty standard origin story for Doctor Strange. It's got uh, Baron Mordo as the bad guy. That's all gone. Marvel's new thing is no more origin stories. So, Doctor Strange movie is no longer... So, Doctor Strange movie no longer has an origin. It begins in medias res it has dr strange already established as the sorcerer supreme it is a totally new script john spates is working totally new on his own without any of the previous stuff not even touching the previous script end quote so my question to you tim is this what do you think about this new direction especially with someone who is not established in the greater general audiences or two greater general audiences. Do you think that the abandonment of origin stories is a good move? Yes, because you can always have flashbacks. You can always work the origins of a character into a movie. You can take a look at uh, a great okay, a, a great way to make a movie where it's not an origin story, but you still include the backstory. Uh, I'm talking mm-hmm. about superhero movie-wise, is The Watchmen. You know, you, there's no not a whole lot of backstory. Of course, it doesn't start off with the back... Well, the opening credits, you get kind of a backstory. But throughout the movie, you get bits and... The, the backstory works into the main flow of the movie. And I think this movie in particular, this Marvel movie in particular, will great... Will, I think it'll it'll improve the movie with it not being an origin story. So I, I'm... I'm happy with that. I'm definitely happy with that. We don't... I mean, you you don't need them. Awesome. Well, really cool. Very cool, then. Then, uh, go ahead, sir. Carry on. All right, two articles in a row, both of them dealing with altering movies. The first one is pertaining to a Brad Pitt movie, one of Brad Pitt's first movies that I have never seen. I don't know if, Matt, have you ever seen Johnny Suede? My God, it's like a terrible, like, early 90s flick. I've only seen bits and pieces of it. Yeah, he but. has, like, the hair that's styled straight up. Kind of like Johnny oh, yeah, Bravo. Uh, like, did you ever see the Cartoon Network show Johnny Bravo? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's heavily based on, like, they're very closely related. That movie and that TV show. This is from a HollywoodReporter.com article entitled, Why Brad Pitt's Early Film Johnny Suede Was Reworked. And this is what it says. Director Tom DeKillo, who fought to cast then-unknown hunk Brad Pitt in his first star part as a rockabilly-obsessed musician in 1991's Johnny Suede, hit the ceiling March 29th when he noticed on Netflix that eight minutes of music by Link Ray, the pioneering 50s guitarist, was cut. It turned out that Miramax had forgone clearing the rights when it made its streaming agreement. I was furious. But Netflix and Miramax were highly receptive to helping me, says DeSillo. Miramax director of surfacing and delivery, Ryan Sosa, sorted out the rights, and DeSillo even got to re-edit the film, trimming seven minutes in a narrative voiceover that had been added by Miramax co-founder Harvey Weinstein. It's distilled, 
It improves the film so much, says DeSillo. Netflix plans to add it later in August. End all quotes. That's pretty cool. I mean, it's it's interesting that, you know, you really don't hear about the whole licensing agreements, you know, the whole backstory. So if you have, like, you take Richard Linkletter's Days of Confused, the, the entire movie is basically nonstop music. You know, there, there's a soundtrack, and I'm not talking about, like, orchestrational music, scores or anything. I'm talking about, like, classic rock and roll music through the entire movies. And they have to go through and they have to clear the rights to use that movie, not only to use it for video, DVD, on demand, on TV, on network TV, but also on Netflix and streaming and all that jazz. So it's kind of, it's, this is kind of interesting, I thought. Next up, news on the upcoming Seth Rogen and James Franco <laughs> Kim Jong-un assassination film entitled The Interview. Uh, there are talkings, people are talking uh, and saying that there's a possibility that the interview might be pushed back uh, even more. I mean, so far it's, 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 uh, it's scheduled, it's slated to open Christmas Day of this year. I mean, talk about a happy... <laughs> let's, go, let's go take our family to go see the interview about an all-American movie about assassinating a foreign leader. Uh, I should say a forced foreign leader. Uh, and as we all know, if you haven't seen the trailer, check it out. It's not that great, but it's very interesting, and it'll be great to see if they're able to really pull off the racy material that I'm sure they've been wanting to pull off in this movie. But apparently, one of the things that the studio wants to work out is something that takes place at the very end. Uh, if you don't want to know what happens at the very end, even though there's a good chance it might get cut out of the film or reworked, Cover your ears for five seconds. Kim Jong-un's face melts off at the end. That's five seconds. Okay. What I just told you is pretty graphic. But Matt and I, I mentioned this to Matt during the pre-show, and he said, oh, it's a la uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. So we all know what happens to one of the bad guys at the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark. And I would assume, since it is Seth Rogen, and these guys, whenever they do do comic violence, it's usually pretty damn graphic. And though this particular character, I mean, let's face it, Kim Jong-un is a character. He's a caricature. I mean, though he is a threat to all human life, basically, especially North Korean, or uh, North Koreans, he is a caricature of a of a human being of what he presumes that he is a leader or what he presumes to be a leader and you know everybody's kind of worried about the death threats that might come and you know whatever retaliation might happen if this movie is released with that sort of ending at the end if you get my get my drift so yeah do you have anything else First up, HuffingtonPost.com, courtesy of James Cave. It seriously looks like Jason Momoa is going to be Aquaman. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I can't believe this. Yes, in the case of uh, Zack Snyder's Superman sequel, Batman vs. Superman Dawn of Justice, it's all but certain that Jace Momoa will star as Aquaman. This despite the silent treatment Momoa usually gives to whomever asks about the role. In a recent HuffPost Live segment, Momoa seemed a little unfiltered at times. He told... Oh, 
he did a whole bunch of uh, a whole bunch of stuff that's not related to this story actually and it also turns out that aquaman might even get his very own movie according to the hollywood reporter which broke news that warner brothers has pitted two writers against each other to develop a script i just can't believe that they're really going to do this jason momoa carl drago from game of thrones <laughs> and uh all-around fun guy from Bullet to the Head and hero of Conan the Barbarian from 2011 will be Aquaman. That's crazy. That's just insane. And then... Looking forward to... I'm sure a lot of people are looking forward to seeing him in those tight spandex... (laughs) That tight spandex Well, the interesting thing is that... Bulging things. A lot of people... See, the the thing is, is that the whole everybody only remembers what they can loosely remember from watching it on TV from the Super Friends, and it turns out that Aquaman is actually kind of supremely badass. Now, the thing is, is that how do you translate somebody who lives in the ocean? You know, oh, who is a superhero under the sea? Aquaman. Yeah, and the thing is, is that. He he moves underwater like Superman moves through the air. Now, as we all know, when you try and move quickly under the water, you can't because the resistance of the water slows you down. That's why astronauts use it as weight uh, weightless and, and zero gravity training. So the fact that he can move like that underwater should give you an idea of how strong he actually is. Also... His trident is actually able to stab Superman. Like, he could actually pierce and kill Superman with his trident. So, there are aspects of Aquaman that are actually pretty badass. It's just, there's never really been a good way to explore that. So, I'm interested to see how that will work. (laughs) I wonder if that would piss off comic book fans. If Superman died from the piercing... (laughs) trident of aquaman that's right king triton eat your heart out all right last but not least we do end on a somber note from newyorktimes.com courtesy of enid nami lauren bacall dies at 89 in a bygone hollywood she purred every word and good lord was that true this is the woman that beguiled at 19 beguiled humphrey bogart and landed him as a hubby. Lauren Bacall, the actress whose provocative glamour elevated her to stardom in Hollywood's golden age and whose lasting mystique put her on a plateau in American culture that few stars reach, died on Tuesday in New York. She was 89. Her death was confirmed by her son, Stephen Bogart. Her life speaks for itself, Mr. Bogart said. She lived a wonderful life, a magical life. With an insinuating pose and a seductive, throaty voice, her simplest remarks sounded like a jungle mating call, one critic said. Miss Bacall shot to fame in 1944 with her first movie, Howard Hawks' adaptation of the Ernest Hemingway novel To Have and Have Not, playing opposite Humphrey Bogart, who became her lover on set and later her husband. It was a smashing debut sealed with a handful of lines now engraved in Hollywood history. You know you don't have to act with me, Steve, her character says to Bogart in the movie's most memorable scene. You don't have to say anything, and you don't have to do anything. Not a thing. Oh, maybe just whistle. You know how to whistle, don't you, Steve? You just put your lips together and blow. 
I mean, come on. That's like the best line. That's like one of the best lines in all of cinema. I like That's how you right channeled your Frank. inner Lauren Bacall to, <laughs> to quote that. I was seductive. Or you, or you were seducing me through, you know, thousands of miles away. From thousands there of miles you go. away. No, I mean, seriously, guys uh, guys and gals, you need to look up this. The, um, we, we literally have lost a magical piece of Hollywood's golden age. And I, I implore you, please, look it up. Look her up. It was fantastic. She was amazing, an amazing actress and super glamorous. You, you, you want to see what hot chicks should look like? You check this chick out. And, oh, man. Ooh, in her heyday, look out. So, yeah. And it's just sad that she's gone. She will be missed. And that is my news, sir. Another passing I would just like to mention. Her name was Columba Dominguez. She passed away at the age of 85. She was a Mexican film legend, which we don't give a lot of love to uh, foreign filmmakers and foreign actors and actresses as much as we probably should. Uh, She was most known, uh, if you're a big film buff, you might have recognized her name uh, of her being in uh, a Louis Bunuel film called The River. Her acting, uh, her movie and TV career spanned about six decades, a little, over more, a little more than six decades, I believe. Again, her name is Columba Dominguez. She passed away at the age of 85. Next up, uh, since we're going to be talking about the classic Expendables 3 uh, as part of our movies here in a, in a few minutes... Something that Sylvester Stallone said on The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon, which pertained to his relationship with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yes, the two of them are good buds now, but back in the 80s and probably in the early 90s, the two of them butted heads. They were in competing movies. One was in Rambo, the other one one was in Commando. And Sylvester Stallone tells this great story about how it was Arnold Schwarzenegger's fault why... He was in some really crappy movies. Everything worked out fine. Absolutely. And, and then Schwarzenegger, I, I, I've read that you guys actually hated each other for a while. Well, we were very competitive. Yeah, I think hate's a good word. <laughs> it, it's a, it, it's, it is. Come on. <laughs> Did you ever hate somebody so much? You go, I got to get to the gym. I got to, and, you know, a musician go, oh, I hate this guy. I'm going to blow him away next yeah. audition. It just was well, like the Rolling mo- Stones a- and the Beatles. It, you know, they kept you know, releasing you great they were, like, albums. Drinking buddies? No. Hey, let's share a blanket this weekend at the beach. No. I don't think so. That didn't happen. No. no. They're trying no. to top each other. So he, no. You no, I really respect this guy. I think, I think he's brilliant. What yeah. he's done, what he's accomplished, he's had three different careers. Oh, he's great. But I want to strangle him. You want to strangle him? <laughs> I did. Well, I mean, yeah. But I mean, you, you would do Rambo, and then he would do Commando. Commando, yeah. <laughs> I just love it. Yeah, it was like bingo and dingo yeah, and like... go-go and bobo. It just kept going. It just kept going. Bingo going. and dingo. That's not, not, yeah. You know, you, you just. Yeah, but I heard yeah. that. He, I heard that he tricked you into doing the movies that didn't work. For there you. was a. There's a. There's a thing. You know, when people play, prey on your insecurities, when you go, your agent goes. Psh! Yeah, you gotta do this movie. You gotta do this movie because Arnold's gonna do it. I go, really? Arnold's gonna? I said, I don't think Arnold can do this one because he's playing like an American cop and they don't have German accents. They just not gonna. Because I'm telling you, if you don't do this thing, stop on my mama's shoot. He's in. He's in. I go, uh, okay, I'll do it. 
Thank you, Arnold. Oh, yeah. no, no. And it happened a couple times. You know, oh, like, oh, God. And, and uh, <laughs> rhinestone. I thought it was like romancing the stone. And I went, oh, my God. This is, uh, I'm, I'm, I can't sing. I'm doing, last night I went out honky-tonking. <laughs> yeah. What am I doing? Yeah, no, you, you can do that. I like that. I want to hear that record. Yeah. It's not exactly like, no. <laughs> But I mean, well, no, so, but, so you picked uh, what, the genre that... Lastly here, from an article on CinemaBlend.com entitled Guardians of the Galaxy Soundtrack Just Did Something Never Done Before, written by Eric Eisenberg. And this is what it says. While it doesn't happen super often, it's not incredibly uncommon for soundtracks to popular films to jump up the Billboard charts. Hell, it was just earlier this year that Disney's animated hit, Frozen, wound up taking the top spot. As a result, the Guardians of the Galaxy soundtrack is doing the same exact thing, may not sound like that big of a deal, but the reality is that it has done something that no other soundtrack in history has. According to Billboard.com, the compilation of songs picked out by writer and director James Gunn for Guardians of the Galaxy, best known as Awesome Mix Volume 1, has not only reached the top of the Billboard 200, but is the first soundtrack ever to do so without featuring a single new song. Instead, the album only consists of pop and rock songs that were released in the 1960s and the 1970s. End all quotes. And I thought that was uh, that was pretty cool. It's good to hear that. Right on, right on. Okay, so I guess that ends the news, yes then? Yes, sir. All right, well then... I believe it is now time for a very special edition of... Discussions with Matt and Tim This time on Discussions with Matt and Tim We will be discussing The Death of Robin Williams And... A brief discussion of the movies that spoke most to us, featuring Robin Williams. And now, Discussions with Matt and Tim. Good morning, Vietnam! Hello! Welcome back. Remember me? Mark from Ark. You once called me the nutso from outer space. Look at this thing. Look, Flipper. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you just seem like the only normal person around the place. I love this guy! I 
just want to thank the Reynolds tobacco people. Graham Norton, you better not put that up on a camera. <laughs> <laughs> Bitch, that will be down. All right, make your fingers like iron, all right? Yeah, and stop trembling. Hold the knife boldly and yes. straight. You sure? You sure you're okay? Fine. It's just, it's, it's fuzzy. Oh, you're so jealous. Just a moment. I hear people wanting something. Me! Golf is one of the few sports where a white man can dress like a black pimp and not look bad, you know what I'm saying? What am I? I'm Papa, the sailor. And I am I know. So it's okay. It's really How much odd. money have we raised? <laughs> Was that you? Aha, let him in! Boys, you must strive to find your own voice. I won't be distant. I'll come back in the morning and I'll call you if you let me. But I still don't drink coffee. You don't know about real loss, because it only occurs when you love something more than you love yourself. He's fighting, Mrs. Lowe. He's losing. Seize the day. Gather ye rosebuds while ye may. Seize the day, boys. Make your lives extraordinary. It was an honor serving you, sir. Hey, I'm sorry. Good day. I just blew in from a biology lab. I'm back and I'm flapping free. Seeing as how the VP is such a VIP, shouldn't we keep the PC on the QT? Because if it leaks to the VC, you can end up an MIA and then we'd all be put on KP. And I know many of you have been looking for Sarah Palin's book, It Is a Bitch to Find. Good luck. I found it somewhere between fiction and non-fiction in the fantasy aisle. For my first question. <laughs> this is for five dollars. Fussy, 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 you do. Martha Graham, Martha Graham. <laughs> gentlemen yes um i've got uh as we all know last week on the 11th tonight's the 18th uh last week on the 11th robin williams did pass away and it's it is sad we 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 have since found out um i have an article from aol.com uh courtesy of uh, paul elias that he did indeed hang himself um which is very, very sad. We it had already been suspected that it was uh, that it was suicide with a belt, right? Yes, with a belt. He had actually been seen last seen alive the night before, and was found um, just a few hours apparently uh, after he had passed away. Which is, as far as things go in this kind of a scenario, 
um, as best as you could hope for, because with just a few hours having passed by, um, the body would have looked relatively normal. So that's that's always good. Um, it had then since been released. I have uh, from FoxNews.com, courtesy of Leora Arnowitz, that uh, Robin Williams had Parkinson's disease, wife says. Um, his wife, Susan Schneider, this had this to say, quote, Rob- Robin's sobriety was intact and he was brave as he struggled with his own battles of depression, anxiety, as well as early stages of Parkinson's disease, which he was not yet ready to share publicly, end quote. So there was that development, and it turns out um, Rob Schneider, this was actually just from today, he had some uh, tweets that he had sent on Thursday, uh, I'm sorry, from the 14th. This comes to us from HuffingtonPost.com, courtesy of Kavan Sezchukowski. I believe I got that right. Rob Schneider links Robin Williams' suicide to Parkinson's drugs. He says, uh, one of Rob Schneider's uh, tweets was, now that we can talk about it, hashtag Robin Williams was on a drug treating the symptoms of, the symptoms of Parkinson's. One of the side effects is suicide. Um, it's really interesting because there, there are a lot of actually, actually there are a lot of antidepressants that can trigger suicidal thoughts and tendencies and the same things with different Parkinson's medications. So, as we can see in any kind of death in this, scenario it's never just quite as simple as anyone um would like to pretend it can be and again just to you know it, you know depression is a serious thing and as we found out so is parkinson's and um it's just kind of you know it, it is just kind of a sad end to someone who had such an amazing just an amazing reach and an amazing touch on so many people. And we decided for this discussion that we are going to talk about, we're just going to run through Robin Williams' filmography. I'm going to take a pass at it. Tim's going to take a pass at it. And we're just going to talk about the movies that pop out that mean something to us. And if they strike a chord with you, then great. Um, if it's something that maybe you didn't like, well, then now you're going to know that maybe there's a couple on here that we were talking about that would be probably pretty good. I'm the only one who liked it. But I've got to say that uh, maybe you'll hear some movies that you didn't know about or didn't realize, and you'll get a chance to listen to them too, or go watch and, and check them out. So he he has a pretty extensive filmography. It started off in 1977 with, Can I do it till I need glasses? <laughs> That's the actual title of the movie. And uh, his last upcoming project is Absolutely Anything, which is supposed to come out next year. Now, we're just going over his filmography. Uh, we're not touching anything from, you know, Happy Days and Mork and Mindy or anything like that. So not we're not doing the television side of it. And I started off, uh, I remember it from 1980, he did Popeye. And I can remember when I was a kid, we got to stay up late one night. And it was premiering on, I think it was the Disney Channel, but it might have been HBO or something. And we got to stay up late um, and watch Popeye. So that was kind of cool. I remember also going back uh, when I was uh, older and going back and watching The World According to Garp, which was a great movie. Uh, Moscow on the Hudson, really interesting movie. But not sure whether or not 
I, I still to this day I'm not sure whether or not it's just a, a, a extremely clever movie uh, a drama or if it's just really slow and you're thinking that it's clever um, then of course his big breakout movie super huge Good Morning Vietnam and for those of you who like those kind of crazy movies he was also King of the Moon and Adventures of Baron Munchausen which was you know fun for me to watch when I was a kid and then who who didn't have to watch this in high school Dead Poet Society Whew, what a movie Cadillac Man was an interesting flick it's the first time I recall him having a mustache and then of course Awakenings this was uh, one of the times that you know this is where you actually got to see some real dramatic chops coming out of him uh, Fisher King. The Fisher King is an absolutely phenomenal movie. I highly recommend that movie. And then Hook. Come on, who loves Hook? And this is one of them from 1992. Toys. Do you remember this? This is when he had his hair dyed blonde. Oh yeah. And he starred with Joan uh, with Joan Cusack and everything. And uh, yeah, I loved that movie. I went and saw it in the theater. I have fond memories of that movie. Robin Wright's in that movie. She's got a southern accent in that movie too. And um, uh. Yeah, that's definitely going to be, uh, I'm the only one who liked it. <laughs> uh, and then uh, Aladdin also came out in 92. Uh, he was also a voice in Fern Gully, The Last Rainforest, which, as we know, was a precursor of Avatar from James Cameron. And uh, <laughs> and uh, then we've got uh, Mrs. Doubtfire, another super huge comedy there. Uh, followed that up in 95 with Jumanji. This was, again, he, he's done other movies in between there, but these are the movies that I remember that I know that I've watched and enjoyed. Um, nine months. Oh my goodness. I totally forgot about nine months. He was, uh, a small role in that one, but still. And, uh, Jack, which was a very cute movie. There's a lot of poignant quotes that are coming out from his graduation speech in that movie. And how about the birdcage? I mean, there's a movie that definitely tested some waters at the time. And then, of course, his uh, Pièce de la Résistance, Goodwill Hunting, that he got his Academy Award for. And then, of course, you, get, you got Flubber that came out that next year, which, you know, it's a Disney movie, and there's, there's that. Um... Patch Adams and What Dreams May Come both came out in 1998. I thoroughly enjoyed both of these movies, even though What Dreams May Come, uh, he has cited that as like the hardest movie for him, basically in terms of filming, because of all of the effects and everything that had to go through, as well as the subject matter. But I really liked it. And then Bicentennial Man, another movie that would fit in the I'm the only one who liked it category. Um, Insomnia, great thriller flick I thought was really good and then one of my favorite movies from this de decade 2002's Death to Smoochie yes love that movie and then turn around with one hour photo that was uh, that was a great one uh, I remember I got to go see a sneak preview of Robots which was an animated flick and was not really impressed with that unfortunately um, Night at the Museum of course and yeah, that pretty much. I, I actually, after about after 2006, I didn't really watch a lot of his stuff, uh, unfortunately. Uh, I was always into. I still watched his stand-up comedies and stuff like that when he would, you know, do his specials on HBO and everything. But um, 
Yeah, the only other movie outside of that was The Butler, and he played Dwight uh, Dwight D. Eisenhower. So that is my list. So all of those movies touched me in a really cool way and bring smiles to my faces. My faces? <laughs> you can't say that face. often, what you just said. Yeah. <laughs> it touched me in a really cool way. <laughs> so, yeah. So there you go. That's my... Um, review of the filmography and just, uh, and I hope, I hope if you, if you, if I spouted something that you hadn't heard, uh, then go check it out. So, Tim, what, what's your take on the filmography, sir? All right, okay, so first off, one of his first movies, Popeye. I gotta say, though, there are stories where he held up, uh, where he held up production. Robin Williams held up production. Not Robert Altman, but Robin Williams, the actor. Because he didn't really like the arms. They had to go through various, uh, uh companies to get the arms right because he really wanted to be in character. And apparently, uh, it, that made, that made uh, uh, such a difference that he was in character because of his arms that the movie would not have been the same. And I gotta say that though I do not like Popeye, though Harry Nilsson did provide some super catchy songs, maybe not, well, not necessarily lyrics, but the music especially is very catchy. Robin Williams definitely commits to the character, and my god, some of the lines that he spouts as Popeye are really, really funny. And I gotta say, you know, if anybody was gonna do Popeye, it was him, man. It was Robin Williams. If you're gonna make a Popeye movie, this was it. Unless it's an animated movie, which I think that better suits Popeye. But if you're gonna make a live-action Popeye movie, this is it. Uh, Though, honestly, I personally didn't think it was that great. Then you have 1982's The World According to Garp. Great movie. Him and John Lithgow. Excellent chemistry. One wouldn't think of that now. Or maybe even then, one wouldn't think about the two uh, having such great chemistry. Especially John Lithgow playing a... Uh, I don't know if drag queen uh, is is a cross-dresser. I, I, I'm really not sure what to, what kind of... What to... I would definitely say that's transvestite, for sure. Transvestite. There you go. Excellent chemistry. Very funny and very sweet. Great movie. Uh, let's see. And I'm going through IMDb here. Scrolling through up the list. Uh, let's see. You have The Survivors. Uh, Moscow on the Hudson. This is a very interesting movie. This is a movie that I remember uh, for uh, it coming on Showtime a lot. And watching it because it had in in it. It had nudity. And really the only thing that I remember from watching that movie is that's when I first realized how hairy Rob Williams was all over. Because in this movie, you definitely see more of Rob Williams than just his arms in his gorilla man chest. You see a lot more. And I got to tell you, from that experience, I... I'm. I, I'm not scarred by it, but it was definitely an unforgettable movie, uh, and that's really the only thing I—that's really the only thing that I—I uh, I remember of it. And I meant to go back and rewatch this one, but I didn't have a chance to. However, one movie of his that is definitely underrated, uh, definitely underappreciated, is the Rob Williams and Kurt Russell movie, *The Best of Times*, where Rob Williams plays Jack Dundee. Uh, a man in his 30s, mid to late 30s, who wants to get the old, the, the old football, the old high school football game together to relive one football game that they lost. That basically 
ran the entire town down to some kind of like odd depression where nobody wasn't quite as happy and uplifting ever since that football game was lost. And it just so happens that Ron Williams' character was one who dropped that ball. So he gets everybody together, including his good buddy, Kurt Russell, to get the team together and recreate that night a football game playing or whatever you want to call it. A lot of people consider this to be their favorite sports movie. It's very charming. It has some great laughs in it. And this is really the first time you get to see Rob Williams create that not so over the top comedic character that we uh, that we come to love in like in, in like Mrs. Doubtfire, for example, where he's a little bit more mellow, but there are those random outbursts that every time when there is one of those random outbursts, it is hilarious. Very funny one-liners. The movie's not amazing, but it's definitely worth a watch. Good Morning Vietnam. Not much I can say about that one. If you haven't seen Good Morning Vietnam, what are you doing listening to this show? Go, yeah, that should be on your list, especially this past week. You should have watched it if you have not seen it. Let's see here. Dead Poet Society. Again, another one. Uh, oh, before that, The Adventures of Baron Munchausen. Uh, rewatched this movie recently. Definitely better remembered and better liked as a kid. Rob Williams' performance is definitely over the top for the movie and for the role. Uh, Another underappreciated movie is Cadillac Man. I like to say that if a more prestigious director made this movie, say Martin Scorsese, I think this movie would have been better reviewed because it's pretty good. It's pretty funny. When Tim Robbins enters the movie, the movie gets a little strange, but it's 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 very inventive. You know, it's it's different. You have Rob Williams talking to the camera. Uh, or, or breaking the fourth wall and talking to the audience, and it just creates this this interesting interpersonal or interpersonal relationship with the character that you don't get in a whole lot of movies. I mean, you kind of saw it with Wolf of Wall Street uh, just recently, but again, you don't you don't see that a whole lot. After Cadillac Man, Rob Williams did Awakenings, definitely one of my favorite dramatic roles. Uh, the chemistry between him and Robert De Niro is absolutely heartbreaking and on top of that you add on that this is also based on a true story it's just remarkable it's just amazing seeing uh, how something so amazing was actually true something that happened was so amazing was actually true and you got to see this movie as well i remember watching this in high school and by the time the credits rolled man everybody was just like wiping tear the the star quarterback sitting next to me just wiping just streams of tears rolling down his quarterback face or whatever i don't know what i'm saying but just rolling down the face uh another fantastic movie which he was nominated for uh, also he was also i believe nominated for awakenings as well for the academy award terry gilliam's the fisher king uh this is one of terry gilliam's most widely liked movies because well one of the reasons why it's not based on his own material it's based on uh, i believe a book and the a screen play uh written by uh, somebody else and the movie is great it's funny it's touching it's a little bit sad, but there's enough bizarre to the movie that keeps it interesting and keeps you wanting to see more. The next scene, what's going to happen? I just love the beginning with uh, with Jeff Bridges, and it's like super 90s, and you never see his face really, and so and it's very over the top and really funny, and then all of a sudden, bam, the movie gets a little sinister about 10 minutes into it, and it's just a fantastic 
transition from over-the-top comedy to a very, very, very good dramedy. So The Fisher King, gotta see it. Hook, it's Robin Williams. Robin Williams makes this movie. Robin Williams and Dustin Hoffman, you watch it now, it's not as great as I remembered it, but it's still, I, I grew up with this movie. It, I will always hold a special place in my heart for Hook. Same thing with Aladdin, with, with both of these movies. He's just, I mean, I think that th these are the movie, especially these two are the two movies that are the reasons why he has such a profound impact on my generation or on our generation, Matt, Matt and my boaths. Both our gener- you know, the co-host and I's generation, however you say it. And just because of Hook and Aladdin, two, two, just two movies that he will always be remembered for. Uh, the Birdcage, all-time favorite Rob Williams comedy right here. It is hilarious. My favorite quote from this movie is when they're getting ready for the girl's parents to come over, and that's when Nathan Lane's Albert walks in and sees everything is put away, all the all the all the all the all the gay decor is elsewhere, and it's it's replaced with animal heads and you know just all this really butch stuff. And Armand, uh, which is Rob Williams, says, "All right, I'll bite. Where are you going?" This is when Albert is leaving, and Albert's reply is, "To Los Copa." Armand, Los Copa. There's nothing in Los Copa but a cemetery. I know. That's why I'm packing light. And Albert walks out the door, and Rob Williams' response is, Oh, I see. So you're going to a cemetery with your toothbrush. How Egyptian. And just how he says it, it's that classic Rob Williams where he... He, he kind of talks like this, and he ends a sentence like this. Or like this. It, it's just the, the cadence to his voice, it's just classic, and especially in these early 90s movies with uh, The Birdcage, with Mrs. Doubtfire, with, with Aladdin, especially with Aladdin, you get these classic Rob Williams lines that we all know and love, not only that, but we all try to replicate not how we do it, but how he does it, because it is that, he is that, I guess, prolific, if you say, in our lives, and how he delivers his lines, and how he performs on screen. Another great uh, movie, Goodwill Hunting, he won the Academy Award for that, fantastic. Uh, my all-time favorite dramatic role of his is What Dreams May Come. Guys, if you are bothered by his passing, do not watch what dreams may come wait a little while and then watch what dreams may come because this movie is sad in its own way it's happy and it's 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 filled it's filled with life you know i guess life after after death but once you know a, a little bit of a backstory as to why this was one of rob williams's favorite movies that he was in his personal favorite movies that he was in but he was upset about the ending because the ending left the audience really with nothing. I mean, it had somewhat of a closure, but there's only so much closure that you can get when everybody is already dead. What he wanted at the end of the movie, and what they actually shot, and it's an alternate ending, which I think you can get on the DVD or Blu-ray, is that there was more of a hint of reincarnation at the end of the movie. And that always kind of bothered him that that wasn't included. And so that is why I say, guys, if you want to watch this movie and you are bothered by his passing, wait a little bit. Wait a little bit. And for the sake of time, because <laughs> I can definitely go on and talk about Jacob the Liar, Bicentennial Man, One Hour Photo, uh, Insomnia, 
the final cut, oh my god, Matt, if you have never seen the final cut, you have got to see the final cut. Also, The Night Listener, I went and saw The Night Listener when it came out at the movie theater. I was the only one in the smallest movie theater uh, on opening weekend when the movie came out. Nice li- uh, listener, uh, it's with him and Tony Collette is in it as well. You gotta check it out, it's another dramatic mystery role of his. So many good movies, it's just sad, man, it's just sad. R.I.P. Rob Williams. R.I.P. All right. Well, then I guess that concludes... Discussions with Matt and Tim. Next week, our special bonus segment will be a three-squared on saucy movies. Movies that feature lots of naughty bits and naughty scenes. Matt and Tim will tell you all about their favorite saucy movies thank you again for listening to this very special discussions with matt and tim all right well that was definitely well worth the time and i believe it is now time for the movie So the movies this week are The Expendables 3, Urban Cowboy, and The Giver, for better or for worse. Because (laughs) we live in two states, went to two different theater chains, two different theaters, two different days, two different times, and projectors broke for both of us, (laughs) for The Giver. (laughs) Uh, Tim's literally blew up, mine the bulb just went out. Um, but it went out like at the last three minutes of the movie and the sound was still on. So I got to hear the end of the movie (laughs) and, uh, Tim just didn't get to see it. Did you get Um, like a free pass or anything? You know what? I didn't even think to ask. I totally should have done that. I didn't even think to ask. I probably could have gotten one. Um, but yeah. All right. So I'm just going to go ahead and just the giver. Since I technically didn't see the ending, I heard the ending, and Tim didn't get to see it at all. We're not going to go in-depth on The Giver. Just know that it's the 2014 American social science fiction film. It's based on a novel of the same name. stars Jeff Bridges and Meryl Streep and uh, Katie Holmes and a brief appearance by Taylor Swift and pretty much no one else you've ever heard of. I'm sure the book is really good. The movie, not 2.25 stars. Okay. Got that knocked out of the way. So, uh, which of the two remaining movies would you like to do, sir? Save the best for last and go with Urban Cowboy. All right. Urban Cowboy, 1980 American Western romantic drama film. And it is directed by James Bridges and stars John Travolta, Deborah Winger, Scott Glenn, Barry Corbin, and Madeline Smith. This is a movie about a guy who has who comes to the big city from the small town with dreams of making money not like making not getting famous but just making some money saving up so he can buy some land back out on a small town meets the girl of his dreams and it's an instant love at first sight story and just a uh just a a torrid love affair and young love and love conquering all and Domestic abuse uh, <laughs> uh, uh, and, and all that kind of fun stuff. 
Now, this movie I hadn't seen in, holy crap, at least 10 years. At least 10 years since I've seen this movie. So it was nice to go back and revisit. This is a movie that, depending on your point of view, may not have aged very well. But, and, and I think it's just because of cinematography styles and, and more or less how films were shot then, especially for a drama. Versus how they're shot today, or even eight years later, for example, uh, with The Accidental Tourist, for whatever it's worth. Um, but this is still a really, really good story. And believe it or not, some excellent acting by John Travolta. <laughs> um, I, I mean, it, it's, it's, got, it's got a great story at its heart, really in-depth characters, and the directing of uh, this is of course easy when uh you're the the person who's in part of who's doing work on the screenplay is also the director james bridges and aaron latham did the screenplay based on a story by aaron latham and then as i mentioned james bridges uh did the directing so with that in mind he was able to definitely get the characterizations right and make that translation from the page to the screen um, it's a, I found it for me, even though it, it was kind of standard fare length for the day, I felt it to be just a little too long, but not so much that you're going to be overly bothered by it. It's just the kind of on again, off again thing is, is very relatable. Uh, a lot of people have been in a relationship like this where, the, you know, it's, it, it's just roller coaster. Um, love hate is, is a little too strong, but just to kind of give you an idea of where to start there and kind of picture that in your mind. The problem is, is that even when people can relate to it, it grows a little irksome over time you're you're kind of like all right let's kind of get to the resolution by the end of it but they also do some interesting things like by centering it around a uh gillies bar which was an actual bar at the time it has since uh gone defunct but uh and, and was a local landmark for decades after the movie because of the movie they use a lot of the things that happened in the bar at the time as ways to kind of interject that side of life into the story and keep it and basically kind of resuscitate it. So where it got too long, they knew how to bring things back. For example, uh, with the finale of the movie kind of revolving around a, a, a bull ride, a mechanical bull riding thing, uh, competition. So all in all, I gotta say this movie, for me, still really good. Uh, it's not a perfect movie, a little long, but still, for me, a four-star movie. I really liked it, and would definitely recommend it. Take it away, Tim. There are so many things that dates this movie, but it's not necessarily like date dating a movie as in, it's like, oh my god, that is so freaking bad, because... The dialogue really isn't that old-fashioned. I don't know if that makes any sense. Neither is the storytelling too much, but you have the music and you have like the very dramatic like, oh, he got drunk and he fell off the top of a of a you know off the side of a of a plant tower 
thingy, you know, and how they shot it was very dramatic and but it was very but it's also interesting how whenever there is something cheesy, like a cheesy setup to something, they do something really cool like a really neat editing technique to show you like where he is in his life and where he where his uh his wife is during that time as well to show that he's hurting in some way and that she is not hurting in this other way and that he's the fool and she's not the fool or they're both the fool and they do it in a really interesting way with editing and cutting to various scenes. However, one thing that definitely holds this movie back is that I don't really get the whole... I mean, I think the movie is too abusive. The characters are too abusive to each other to to reflect true love. You know, it's like, oh, I love getting drunk and acting super shitty to you, but I love you. Therefore, all that should be fine. But what really takes the cake is when the bad guy of the movie goes maybe one step further. You know, it's not like the complete opposite, which makes him the bad guy. That's the thing. It's like he just does. He just goes one step further. And that one step is a little bit more, you know, mean spirited than just smacking your wife across the face. And I'm pretty sure even in even in even at that time it was still pretty frowned upon, but I guess it was it wasn't as like, you know, oh that's abuse or what we would consider as abuse nowadays. So that's what kind of even bothered me with uh, with Saturday Night Fever, not mainly, not as much as the abuse, as much as John Travolta's character would, would, how he would treat women. You know, it was all about sex. It was just being sexual and how he, like, men are the alpha males. And yes, the the women in the movies are more of like the I am I am woman type of thing. They're they're more of like the of, of a gusto character than being a submissive female. Yes, but still, it's kind of like. They really don't address the idea that domestic violence is a bad thing. In that, oh well, will he be a better person after that? After after everything that happened, or will he just go back to being the same, uh, you know, the same drunk guy? And that's what I kind of got with Urban Cowboy. Is that there is definitely an, a, a story arc within the love story. But there's really not a story arc in the in the characterization, you know? It's like he doesn't... I don't know if he really learns anything from everything that happens. But that everything that happened between him and his girlfriend and the whole competition, the bull riding competition and all that stuff uh, against the guy who looks very much like Keith Carradine. I don't know why, but to me, he looked a lot like Keith Carradine. I might be wrong, but that's kind of what I got out of it. So I give this movie 3.75... I definitely enjoyed the movie. I might even go as far as far as saying that it's a four-star movie as well because I I really like the setting. Again, I it could be because I'm partial to the Pasadena Houston area, not necessarily Pasadena, but the Houston area. But the movie is definitely interesting. It's fun. It did a really cool thing in in capturing a particular time in the suburbs of Houston. You know, with country music, this movie made country music more mainstream, and these type of honky tonks more uh, pretty much like what the, what uh, what uh, Saturday Night Fever did with disco. This movie kind of broadened the appreciation of honky tonk country music, or more like what we would call maybe pop music. And you know what? And with that, this movie definitely succeeds. You know, I think it's definitely enjoyable. 
John Travolta is entertaining. Uh, the girl, the woman is very entertaining. You know, it's just everybody does a really, really good job. And there are some great scenes in it. So I definitely give this movie 3.75 to 4 stars. Well, very good, very good. Okay, so last but not least... Actually, I'm sorry. Let me rephrase that. Last and least, The Expendables 3. The sellout of all sellouts, uh, courtesy of Sylvester Stallone, starring Sylvester Stallone and every single person who's ever been in an action movie ever that's had a title credit. Um, They're back at it once again trying to put a new crew together, salvage their reputation, take out the bad guy who screwed him over before. Um, there's love, there's action, there's fighting, there's camaraderie, com- camaraderie, there's loss, and there's recovery, and they win. And it sucked. And it was just not likable. It was what? fun what? to see... What? Matt? The people says that what? an Expendables movie sucks. I'm sorry, he, they fucking sold out with this PG-13 bullshit. It, at, at 126 minutes, it's way, it's literally 35 to 40 minutes too long for a PG-13 movie to have this kind of action and this kind of uh, carrying on. This is why these movies needed to be R, because you can have as much fun with the actual characters and as much fun with the actual actors and actresses as you want and let them do all the cool shit and blow the shit up and say the fucking cool lines and do it however you like to let it play out. So do you but think this you movie would have benefited down, for with with more, uh, I guess, blood... You know, guts Absolutely, and stuff because and... because the whole extra 30, 40 minutes that they spend talking about stuff and actually pretending to have exposition, I don't know why you would do that in a movie like this, um, could be filled in with quite a few more uh, colorful expletives that you can't have in a PG-13 movie. You can have, and when you have the action, you can make the action that much more over the top and that much more explosive, literally, and that much more bloody, literally. Um but you don't but they don't do it because it's PG-13 and so it kills the whole spirit of the movie the whole spirit of the franchise and fuck them um it was still mildly mildly entertaining so i'm going to let it reside at a 2 i didn't like it i mean it was fun to see Kelsey Grammer as like a <laughs> kind of like a badass mercenary um, it was fun to see Harrison Ford. It was really fun to see Mel Gibson, but the movie was too long. The the sellout rating definitely shows, and it hurts the whole thing. So, two. Bring us home, sir. Okay. Uh, I definitely think this movie would have been equally as sucky if it was rated R, but I'll get to that in a second. What made this movie somewhat... I mean, if I got if I had to say that the movie was somewhat enjoyable because it wasn't, it was because of Antonio Banderas, who's in the movie all but maybe you know maybe ten minutes. Mel Gibson, who plays Come a convincing on, Sylvester villain. Stallone, give me a chance. Yeah, I mean, like I he was the only one that had like energy you. and comedy. You know, it was it was good. <laughs> Wesley Snipes at the beginning was entertaining. He was mainly a plot device. And that's kind of what all these movies, to me, felt like. Every character, every motive these characters have, it's all a plot device. It's, 
you know, there's a reason why Jackie Chan said no to these movies. And I, I mean, I'm not, I'm going off of memory, but basically pretty much what he says or has said is that he wants to do a movie. He would like to do a movie with only him and Sylvester Stallone. He doesn't want to be in the Expendables like how Jet Li in this one was in the movie for, he had what, maybe like two lines. He was basically not even a cameo. He was just in it, and he was yeah, even he like yeah. He actually had more of a cameo. Yeah, he had more of a cameo in the second one than he did than than he does in this one, where he literally just kind of shows up just to say hi. Yeah, and he shoots <laughs> a gun. That's all he does. He shoots a gun. And, He's getting old. You know, and like Jackie Chan once didn't want to just be thrown in this movie just to like show up for a little while and you know be in a couple cutscenes doing something that. He n- normally doesn't do in, <laughs> in 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 his movies. You know, he fights. He doesn't freaking shoot guns. So the rated R, or this movie was originally supposed to be rated R, but they cut it to be PG-13. It became PG-13 just maybe a month or so ago, month and a half ago. Uh, the movie has not been doing well at box office. At the box office, it took in what 15.9 million. Uh, over the past few days, and they they're saying that oh we think the the movie being uh, pirated because a really good copy of the movie has been available for like three or four weeks on torrent sites. I mean a really good copy apparently, and uh, they're saying that well that hurt the that that's hurting the movie. Now I just think people are just sick and tired of these freaking movies. I am. I mean this movie is is has so much. CGI in it. There is so much green screen use. It is ridiculous. Whenever you see somebody shooting a, a fucking a bazooka, it's not. There's nothing real coming out of the bazooka. It's all computer effects, and it's so obvious when they're on a boat. Oh, there's a, a really shitty scene when when Frazier and Sylvester and Barney is driving in a car, and it's at nighttime, and they're in Mexico or wherever, and. It's so bad. It's so bad. It's, it, it looks like one of those when 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 color movies were first available and they 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 decided to shoot you know wanted to shoot like day scene day driving scenes outside, but really it takes place at night and it's so obvious that it's day outside. That's how that's how that scene kind of feels. But it, they shot it indoors in front of a blue screen and it still sucks. It still sucks. You don't shoot convertible scenes that take place at night in front of a blue screen when you don't hear any wind, you don't hear any outside noises at all, and they're just talking to each other, you know, just normally. Normally. How one would in closed quarters. It's just stupid. Stupid, stupid, stupid. Um... It also seemed like most of the direction these actors had were look sad, look angry, Look away from the camera. Look confused. Look concerned. Yeah. It, uh, and also so many cliches. You have Stonebanks played by Mel Gibson. He had the chance to shoot Barney in the head at the you know when they first encounter each other, but instead he shoots Terry Crews, and for some reason he then decides to shoot. Uh, Sylvester Stallone, but then something happens, and then he decides to take out a, a a rocket launcher to shoot him, and it's like, you had a chance to kill him! Why didn't you kill him before? It... 
yeah, I think, yeah. So, so what's your what's your rating, sir? All right, where do you land? Well, okay, shit. I'm just they they create drama for the sake of drama. This movie ba- follows the same plot as all the other ones, and that is why I think this movie would have would have suffered the same rating if if it was still rated R. Like I, I would have still have given it or enjoyed it the same amount, which was none, if the movie was still. Uh, if the movie was radar and had blood, had violence, and had language, it, because it's basically the same movie. Story by Sylvester Stallone. This guy dies, or this guy gets shot, to create drama, to create a motive, to create a motivation for these characters to band together, to stop the bad guy, or to not band together and stop the bad guy. You have a lot of people that are not actors, and that is why I give this movie 1.5. We have never agreed on this franchise, and the reason why um, what I'm railing against is what they took away by changing it to a PG-13. If you go back and watch movies like Commando, if you go back and watch movies like Cobra, if you, uh, I mean, all of these movies that they um, are ringing the nostalgia factor of, those, none of those movies are good. They're not. They're, they are just macho, over-the-top, shoot them up kill things, and quip lines that really aren't all that intelligent. But they work, But they're though. fun. It, it worked. And it worked because it was 30 years ago. And that's, that's the whole thing with the Expendables franchise. I'm willing to see where you're bringing up all these particular lines and, and, uh, and plot issues and stuff like that. I'm willing to forego all of that because... That's what it's about. It's about bringing back stupid plots that do nothing more than just relive the glory days. That's all the whole Expendables franchise is about. It's just to let you go down a trip down memory lane, but do so in a current setting. Right, and just to say, I do love 80s. I love Commando, and uh, you have Predator. All these great Rambo. The reason why I stand by saying that that I, I'm able, I would be able to forego these stupid plots and all these goofy uh, bad acting and stuff if they treated this movie like a movie from the 80s, whereas practical effects, you know, thought out action scenes, not sloppily put together. You look at the last Rambo movie, Rambo, it's, yeah, I think the fourth one that came out in like 2007, 2008, really good movie really good why it's because it that to me that right there is an 80s action movie made in modern times (laughs) made in the modern day why well thought out you got you got a basic storyline rambo out to save people kicking some ass shooting people yeah you got the blood you got the violence and whatnot but you know what it all flowed together and that's what i like very good. All right. Well, that concludes the movies there for us. This uh, next week we've got uh, technically three, but um, in point of fact, it's actually two movies. Uh, we have Sin City, a Dame to Kill for, and because somehow it landed on Netflix, Nymphomaniac volumes one and two. So now you will get. And it's no longer going to be snide comments. It's no longer going to be. Uh, yes, we've seen things and we'll refer to the sex scenes and joke and goof off. You are now going to get the full-on reviews for Nymphomaniac Volumes 1 and 2 next week. <laughs> and with that, I think it is now time for the spiel. Spiel on! 
Alright, well, as always, the music you've been listening to has been brought to us by our music partners, Cries of Solace. You can check them out at ReverbNation.com and Facebook.com, both slash Cries of Solace, of course, with the exception to Discussions with Matt and Tim. That music comes to us from MuseOpen.org. As for us, well, we, of course, are still the SLS Cast, and you can check us out at slscast.com. You can send us an email to the show at sls.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at the SLS Cast. You can follow me personally at nittwit, N I T T W I T, 12345. And. You can go to Facebook and search us there, and of course, subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher Radio. And since we are, you know, publishing our episodes regularly uh, the same week that we record, because, you know, Tim rocks the house, you can look for us on Saturday. We're going to be joining our friends over at Midnight Movie Nights, and you can check them out, MidnightMovieNights.com. That's Nights with a K. We're actually going to be guests on their show this week, and they live stream at 10 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, so we'll hope to catch you there, and uh, our all of our listener can uh, say hi to us via Twitter, and you can tweet at us and stuff, and we can see what's happening. So that'll be fun, and uh, we're very thankful to Miranda and the Kitty for uh, getting us this opportunity, and we're looking forward to it. So, until next week, this is Matt saying that, thanks to Benicio Del Toro, I get to say this, License to Kill is not one of the great Bond movies. And this is Tim, and I speak for Matt and myself in saying that him and I both will have our lube tissues and our favorite sock in hand for next week's episode will you Thanks again for listening to the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. Remember that you can find us at slscast.com, at the SLS Cast for Twitter, also on Facebook, and you can always subscribe on iTunes. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>